Well, good morning. Uh, the good news is this is the last of this series, and next week you'll have Mike back. Uh, uh, Danielle just asked me if I was going to be hard on the ladies today, and I, my response is, I think I'm going to make everybody mad today. <laughs> so, uh, in coming up with a visual aid uh, for this one, I, I drew a blank, but I did remember a cartoon I saw 20 or 25 years ago, and it was a pastor type in a large pulpit, and he had a suit of armor on. And the, the word said, the text for today's sermon is 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 6. And if you know what that's all about, you know that's not something that most churches talk about. Uh, if you'll turn there, that's going to be our primary message today. And it's going to be about, in this series on leadership in the family, this is mostly about response to leadership. And we're going to talk about the marriage relationship today. And in that... Uh, Let's just go through this short passage, starting at verse 1. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, you may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, putting on jewelry and, and dresses, But let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. In this way, in old times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Now, uh, some would disagree with Sarah's subservient attitude, uh, reasoning, well, today we all know that women are equal in all senses, and that in marriage she has just as much right and authority as her husband. Others would take an opposite view that this text puts a husband on par with God reasoning that because Sarah called him Lord, a husband is in essence the Lord of his wife and should always be obeyed, even if he's dead wrong or violating God's word. Now, I don't know where you lean on this one, but I think it's important that we, constri- that we consider uh, what that means, either position. And so I'm going to give you a couple of hypos. And for these hypos, I want you to assume that the wife disagrees with the husband's decision. She has expressed her feelings with a humble spirit, and her husband will not relent. Okay? First one. The wife wants the house painted in earth tone color with mauve accents. And the husband says it's going to be white. All right? Second, hypo. The wife at age 43 discovers that she's pregnant after an eight-year gap. Her husband states emphatically he is not going to start over again, and he commands her to terminate the pregnancy. Now, if you said in those two cases that the wife should submit in both cases, or if you said 
that she should not submit in both cases, what biblical authority can you cite? In comparing this world with heaven, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. All of us. This is not about salvation. This is about what happens in heaven in terms of our rewards. Well, to whom does a wife ultimately answer? To God, right? Just as much as her husband. Is a wife as much a part of the body of Christ as her husband? In Hebrews 3, it's, it encourages us to encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Should a wife encourage her husband? to avoid the deceitfulness of sin. In Ephesians 5, it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord, much like the First Peter passage. Is there any difference between submission to a husband, qualitatively, and submission to God? John Wesley put it this way, In these directions concerning relative duties, the subordinates are all along placed before the leaders because the general proposition is concerning submission. And subordinates ought to obey, uh, ought to do their duty. Whatever their leaders do, wives, submit yourselves to your own husband, except where God forbids. In Colossians 3, We have a similar passage. Wives, submit unto your husbands as is fit or right in the Lord. Is it relevant to a wife's submission if her husband is crosswise with God? Finally, in Genesis 2, we see the principle that the two shall be one. Can a wife sit meekly by as her husband makes a decision that damages their unity. Now, one thing we need to remember is that there are no perfect characters in the Bible. The Bible is a book about real people who have real problems. They make mistakes. Even Sarah, who's mentioned in Hebrews in the Hall of Fame there. Um, If we go back to Genesis 20, we see a story about Abraham and Sarah going to uh, the land of Gerar where King Abimelech reigns. And Abraham decides he's going to tell the king that Sarah is his sister because he's afraid that the king will kill him to get his wife. However, this has the unintended consequence that Abimelech took Sarah. It's just his sister, so I can take her. Before he has a chance to touch Sarah, God speaks to the king in a dream with the subtle message, you are a dead man because you took a married woman. Uh, he then, God then 
proceeds to close the wombs of all in Abimelech's household and basically curses him. Uh, Abimelech, of course, pleads ignorance and immediately says to Abraham, what were you thinking when you told me this was your sister? Uh, he, he even gives Abe sheep and goats to try to cover up any offense and certifies that Sarah is pure as far as he's concerned. So Abraham prays for Abimelech. Wombs are reopened and all is well. But we've got to ask the question. While I think most of us would put more blame on Abraham in this scenario than we do on Sarah, does she escape all responsibility to God? Uh, would any wife here do the same thing that Sarah did? Isn't it deceitful and cowardly what Abraham did and to which Sarah consented? Did she not play the game of deceit as well? Remember the passage in 1 Peter 3. It says, obey like Sarah, yet in what is right. Frankly, if you think about some other examples, Sarah's kind of blessed that she didn't end up like Sapphira in Acts 5. If you remember that story, she obeyed her husband in his plan to deceive and lie to the Holy Spirit. And in her obedience to her husband, Sapphira followed her husband Ananias to an untimely death in dishonor. So, how can a wife justify obedience to her husband when that same act violates God's command? If you're leaning on the more submissive side or the, the absolute submissive side, do you really believe you're, you as a child of God are going to, to avoid responsibility because your husband told you to do it? On the other hand, on the other hand, what does 1 Peter 3 mean? What should be the attitude of a wife toward a husband with whom she in good faith disagrees? You know, wives have one of the hardest jobs of all in this submission area. Uh, this passage lays out perhaps one of the most difficult and yet most effective means of influence anyone on the face of the earth can have over authority. So a wife thinks, I really think I'm right in this thing. I know there's no biblical command here, but I, I really think I'm right here. Do I dig in my heels and demand he sees it my way because he's clearly making the wrong decision here? Or do I humbly submit and allow him to go down that path knowing he may not change? Now, for some, that latter option may be counterintuitive, yet even though we're not dealing with a command of Scripture, it may be the stuff that not only changes his mind, but can lead to the best possible marriage. You know, a lot of people term marriage as a partnership. You know, they usually do it with 51 and 49 percent or whatever, because frankly, 50-50 partnerships generally don't work when, you, when you've got a conflict. Uh, I think another way to look at it is that a husband and wife are really one, like one team. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 6, 
to avoid being unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion has light with darkness? So, to be yoked together means like a team of oxen, okay? Powerful and effective when working together. Now, this analogy that Paul makes here applies to all relationships, but I think it's most applicable to marriage. An unequal yoke would be like an ox with a donkey, okay? They bear the load at different heights with different levels of strength and speed, and the two will invariably fight against one another, chafing under the, under the, under the yoke, and lead to conflict. You might relate that to a Christian and a non-Christian in marriage with different worldviews, different authority, different standards. Uh, the prognosis or forecast is, is not too bright. So marriage requires the highest form of team effort in leadership. There has to be one leader when individuals disagree. And for children, you know, no child can serve two masters if, if they disagree. But that leader should rely heavily on the advice and work of a trusted co-laborer if he wants to be successful. So... How does the wife, who may have more insight and discernment under the leadership of her husband, best accomplish the goal of the team when she disagrees? Well, when a wife, by all rights, has a reason to be upset with but does not react to her husband and instead is humble, respectful, honoring, you know, that has a huge impact on her husband. Most authorities in most positions appreciate and respond much more favorably to those who demonstrate an attitude of submission and are, frankly, much more willing to change their decision uh, to reconsider. So a wife has an opportunity to be extremely effective using what Peter calls the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a quiet and meek spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. What tool have we learned that the wife, of course, has to enable her to urge her husband to reconsider his decision without undermining his authority? Please. Appeal. Appeal. Wife has that as well. Now, some wives might be tempted to ignore a husband's fault because he is my husband. But is it possible that that kind of an attitude can lead to a false sense of submission and possibly spiritual pride on the part of some? From Genesis, we all know that wives are to be helpmates for their husband. And of course, we all know that this means help meets in the sense of doing washing the clothes, doing the dishes, clean up the house, right? Consider the context. This is in the garden. How many clothes and dishes were there? All right. All right, stay with me here. 
If you're a leader, you can be a president, a governor, a church leader, a, a parent, a husband, a boss. All these leaders have authority to make decisions that affect others. But they're also under the weight of the responsibility for those decisions. Leadership can be a solitary position. So wise leaders depend on trusted counselors. An authority, like a husband, could be characterized as having the power of position, like a a governor or, or whatever. Those whom the leader receives advice from, in effect, are very, very powerful. Theirs is the power of influence. These aren't competing powers, but rather complementary, ideally. Uh, A wife is a prime example of one with the power of influence. In Proverbs 31, we all know about the virtuous woman. And it has character character trait after trait of this virtuous woman. But among those is that her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. Now, this guy is known, no doubt, because of the wise counsel of his wife. Why else would the author mention it? A wife often is a helpmeet in spiritual discernment. She can be a radar spiritually for her husband because she is usually more spiritually sensitive and aware. An example, she may not understand all the technical things about your job because she's not doing it just like everybody else, but she can be a warning for you if you are about to stray away from God's best by making a stupid business decision. So talk to her. A wise husband will seek advice. Now, I want to put some feet to this as we try to close here. Um, I have categorized uh, different levels of disagreement because I, I think it makes a difference in how one responds. Uh, and you may or may not agree with me, but this is what I'm going to say. Level one would be a decision by the husband where there's no violation of biblical command, principle, or example. Okay? It's a matter of preference. And if the husband does not agree with the wife, the wife should submit. An example, what are we going to paint the house? Where are we going to go on vacation? That sort of thing. doesn't mean the husband shouldn't listen to her, but the wife should ultimately submit. Level three, on the other hand, where is there is a clear violation of God's manifest will. It is, it is important, if you can, to appeal to the husband. But if the husband rejects that appeal, you may not only ought, but you may have a responsibility to go to a higher authority. Maybe it's your father or his father. Maybe it's the church. Maybe it's the government. An example would be if there's physical abuse in the home. You've got, as the wife, the responsibility to protect everyone there, including yourself. Then there's the ground in between, where most of these decisions come up. And there are no violation of biblical command, but it may be contrary to a biblical example or principle. An example might be modesty or what we allow the children to do. 
And generally, wives should submit in those cases, but there may be serious cases where you might have to appeal to a higher authority in, in, in those situations in order to protect the integrity of the family. Uh, submission is not an easy concept to apply in our lives. Uh, however, it is a source of great security. We should pray for one another as we seek God's wisdom in this vital area. Now, this is a series on leadership, so I suppose I should say something about leadership uh, positively here. Uh, in our first week, Stan read a passage out of Luke 22, and I think uh, all of that, but I'm just going to read a part of it here, is applicable today. In starting in verse 26, it says, The one who is greatest among you must become the youngest, and the leader must become like a servant. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I, Jesus Christ speaking here, am among you as one who serves. Now, who are we, husbands, to say that because the Bible says wives are to submit to us, that we don't serve? That is part and parcel of being a biblical leader. A true leader leads by example through humble service to those under his authority. In the first Peter three passage, the very next verse seven says, you husbands in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with weaker, as with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Now, guys are like, you know, those banged up metal army canteens. You, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, simple, you know, hard as in headed, uh, made to be knocked around. But a, a, a wise husband will treat his wife as a valuable, delicate chalice or goblet to be held lightly and sensitively and filled only with the best and the finest. That's what I think this passage means by weaker vessel. Not inferior, but more delicate and deserving of care. Finally, in, in Ephesians 5.25, it says to guys, Paul makes it simple. Guys, all you have to do is love your wives. That's it. Just as Christ so loved the church and gave himself up for her. Not so simple. Ladies, what men really want, and I trust what a woman of God desires, is to respect, honor, and submit to a real leader. What is that? A real leader is a man who will lead with love, sensitivity, and concern for her feelings, with whom she can trust with her deepest secrets. A man who will protect his delicate vessel and serve her with his life, just as Christ did for his bride, the church. A man who will seek God's face daily, 
and will spend time praying for her and with her daily. Who, though imperfect, tries his best to lead the family in spiritual matters. Who would never ask his wife to violate God's command, but would be willing to listen in trivial matters to her opinion, even about the house paint. A man who can not only make a decision, but is secure enough to seek her input and consider long and hard before going against her earnest counsel. You see, what we're talking about is is two individuals. Okay, they each have different personalities, different strengths, different weaknesses. But the biblical picture is that the two will appear as one in many ways. Yoke fellows in the work of God. And there aren't too many couples like that these days. And to be honest, I don't have this perfected. But we should all constantly pray for this kind of marriage within Lion and Lamb and the church at large because, one, we're commanded to, and two, the world is watching. Well, as I call up the panel to respond to this message, I will read a hypo. So hopefully I've got a panel today. It's kind of like one of those game shows. We're waiting for somebody to stand up. I'm getting nervous here. I don't do soft, soft shoe very well. Good, good. All right. The hypo is... Joe has struggled providing for his family over 12 years of marriage, and he's tried several job fields, but nothing seems to last. He also has a history of impulsive decisions. While in many ways he's a good husband, father of four, and he remains upbeat, he has little to show for his efforts. But Joe has become enthralled with an opportunity he sees on Big Hair TV, the Christian cable channel. He says to wife Mary... That today he quit his job of two years, which is the longest tenure of his work career, and he intends to invest what little savings they have to get in on the ground floor of a multi-level marketing plan to sell music CDs to Christians. Mary is terrified at the thought and unleashes a tirade at her clueless soulmate. Gentlemen, what do you advise? hypotheticals. But before I start, I just wanted to say uh, thanks to Kent personally for taking on a tough subject over four weeks and really doing a super job uh, for myself personally. In our home groups, we've discussed these. And you know, if you talk about authority and submission in our culture today, you're sort of voluntarily throwing yourself under the bus. So Kent's sort of taking his life in his hands. And I think on one hand, has a sympathetic audience here, but on another, it's still a very, very tough Tough topic, and he's just done a super job. So my personal thanks to Kent for his willingness to ta- tackle this. <clears throat> I have said before, no, no joking, Kent's one of my heroes. Kent's been around in the faith and just been a, a sterling example. Uh, to the point, I'll just address the husband and let Bob and Larry uh, take it from there, too. 
Uh, I've known a guy just like this, and I've seen a marriage with exactly this kind of frustration, real instability on the part of the husband, and, of course, just the, the hard repercussions that means for the wife, and it's a tough, tough situation for her. The first thing I would say in addressing the husband, starting with the authority, would just to be to ask him if he'd prayed about this. Uh, these guys often sort of go on impulse or in, first instinct. Did you, did you stop to pray about this? The second thing would be, was there some particular reason you didn't talk to your wife about this first, get her feedback, and pray with her about this issue? Uh, one of the things I think that's really important from the leader's perspective is in, to include those who are under your leadership as much as possible in the process that's going to affect them. The, the decision of that husband's affecting his wife and their children, so to make them part of the process would just be prudent whenever possible. Another thing for this guy specifically would be to ask him, knowing your own history, just this proclivity to sort of jump off the bridge, is there some reason you made a decision without going to others first, your wife included, but certainly the wise counselors you might have in your life otherwise, to ask them for feedback, to put something on hold, to not act impulsively, and to get the input of others. Proverbs has a lot to say about the value of getting wise counsel from others. I would ask him that too. And I'd ask him if he can still go back to his first job. <laughs> when uh, I, I read the, the hypo, I was thinking, whoa, this sounds too much like me. <laughs> um, no, no, it wasn't intended. <laughs> it, it was about five years ago that I quit a job that I'd had for a while because I really felt like, you know, I, I really wanted to work in the Christian ministry. And uh, so I quit my job. It took about six months, but I found a, I, I applied to, you know, Billy Graham and focus on the family, you know, the well-known ministries around the country. I ended up working for a, a local Christian ministry. Uh, worked there almost four years, and they fired me. Uh, and so now, now I'm back working in a really secular uh, uh, company. Um, sorry, Kent, I work for a group of attorneys. I mean... <laughs> um, but it, 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 I got to thinking, you know, we went through this process. Now, now the, my previous job, I'd worked there almost 19 years. But we, we struggled with that for a long time. I felt like, you know, the Lord was telling me that it was time to do something else. And just to go along with what Mike had said, um, we, Sondra and I talked about this and prayed about it for months. We uh, took a trip to Kansas City to, uh, just for a vacation, kind of, and uh, stopped at a church that we uh, knew one of the ministers, and he happened to be preaching that Sunday. And so after the service, we went up and talked to him and, and uh, visited with him, told him you know, what we were, some of the things we were struggling with. Uh, he recommended a book by Bruce Wilkinson called The Dream Giver. I don't know if you've read that. It's been out for a few years. Uh, so we, we both studied that book for a long time, seeing what, you know, some ideas about what God might have for our future. Uh, so we went through uh, the process of, of, you know, praying about it, talking to each other about it. Um, you know, I wasn't about to quit without seeking her input. Sandra is, you know, my, not only my best friend and my lover, but, uh, she's the, my best, uh, advisor, um, I was reading this morning a thing by Ravi Zacharias, and he was talking about prayer. And uh, some guy was having a, a, had asked somebody else to pray for him, and, and the one said, well, you know, you could pray about this as easily as I could. And the, and the person said, well, yeah, but says, for me, prayer is kind of like a long-distance number. I think you've got an 800 number. Um, Sandra's often very be, much better at hearing from God than I am, so I, I rely on her. Uh, yeah, I think what, what 
Mike said is true. You know, we need to, the husband just needs to understand that he needs to hear from God, needs to hear from his wife, needs to hear from uh, other counselors. Um, it's easy for us to go off and see something that looks good, uh, but we need to take good advice. Great stuff. And um, I'd just like to note that uh, the scenario that we have here, it's, it's awful easy to walk away from this and just say, well, this only applies to husbands and wives, and I'm not married, so therefore this doesn't have anything to do with me. And for the rest of you out there, I'd like to say just a reminder that this scenario, what's going on here, does apply to other situations, that uh, it could apply to an employee-employer situation. You see the employer about to make a decision that is unwise for his business. It could apply to, uh, I know I was in a situation years ago where I was on a cross-country team, and the coach had us running uh, quarters and quarters and quarters around a hard, hard-baked track. And um, I was trying to advise him that we were having a lot of injuries on the team, that it would be better off if we ran a few more golf courses, a few other things uh, to, just for the health of the team. Uh, there's times that you might find yourself in a situation where the, the, um, the person in authority is maybe making some bad decisions. And, and, there's, and, you, and for the good of the, the team, the business, uh, the family, whatever, you, you need to appeal to that person and, and help them see why the, what they're doing is a bad decision. But they, it has to be worked through and very carefully. Um, in the man's situation here, there might be a... There's not a... The hard thing about it is that he's not in violation of a of a morality issue necessarily, uh, like uh, Kent was talking about earlier. It would be a clear-cut case if that were the situation. But he is possibly in violation of some biblical principles, uh, thinking like uh, First Peter, excuse me, well, First Peter 3, 7, that Kent's already talked about, uh, uh, how our wives are co-heirs with us. And, you know, Christianity through the history has been a great leveler and uh, has done so much to change this idea, a leveler of society and, and raising up people um, and getting rid of tyranny and freeing up people overall. Um, I, I, I'm not sure how much this happened, but there was, there's nothing in the Bible that forbade a slave from being an elder in a church and maybe an authority over his master who was uh, also a church member. Uh, in terms of the church of things. There's nothing in, in the Bible that would have disqualified that. The, um, uh, in, in the Bible, our wives are going to be, co- they are co-heirs in Christ with us. And as men, we are responsible. We have to give an account for that. But someday we're going to stand before the Lord and give account for the decisions we've made. And our wives are going to be standing there as Co and completely equal heirs with us of the grace of life, as first, as Peter draws out there, and we we need to keep that in mind. If a guy that doesn't take into consideration his wife and the unity that they have, that they're supposed to have, is in violation of a biblical principle. Uh, Proverbs twenty eight nineteen uh, says that uh, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty is this guy here, as Mike was talking about, is he, is he, I would really encourage him to go back and, and keep his job, keep his, his daytime work until he shows that he can actually make some income out of this, 
new venture that he's going to take. On the other hand, it is a new venture. You know, we talked about Sarah, and you gave the example of her. She took quite a risk in following Abraham on this gigantic, risky venture of leaving Ur and going and going to this promised land. That was a that was a risky business venture to do such a thing, and to submit herself to doing that. Um, not all business ventures, business investments are equal, and that's where it's, uh, it's a person needs wise counsel. We don't get that oftentimes in the church. I know there's been things I've considered in the past, and, and Sue has tried to give me good counsel to go out and get good godly counsel. And I've gone out and tried to talk with people and, who are wise people, but they were not able to guide me down the list of things that needed to be considered. Uh, things like... Uh, What's the risk-reward ratio with this thing that I'm looking at? Things like, do I have the character that I need to, develop, to start up this business, to do this thing? Things like, um, uh, what, um, um, you know, what, uh, what sales pitches are being thrown at you right now? Is there a sense of urgency? Uh, in, in multi-level marketing, things one of the most famous sense of urgency things that they throw out is, this is a groundbreaking venture, or, or a ground... A ground Thing is, the whole thing is meant to provide urgency to get you to make a decision without consulting people. So um, those are you know those things you always we need good counsel that way, and I think as a church we could we could probably develop more that way. For the wife, appeal. Ken's already already mentioned that. Um, you've got a family at stake. You've got, uh, and it's not going to be helpful at all to just scream or or anything like that, but. Uh, Try to get the guy, of course, to, to listen to reason, consider, get good godly counsel. And um, I feel fortunate, as, as Bob mentioned there, uh, and I know in my wife, that uh, she has given me great counsel along the way. And, but I've known situations where sometimes a wife has been as impulsive and reactive as the husband is. And um, it's important to appeal, to keep, to keep your head in those situations. Remember, you're all together and, and work together on those things. Uh, Kent's already alluded to this, but I think I just bears pointing out again. Uh, Christ is the example in servant leadership for husbands, and Christ is the example in submissive in submissiveness in general for anyone under authority. And you see, you see both of those in First Peter. So in First Peter two, you see Christ suffering unfairly and entrusting himself to his Father who judges righteously. Not taking away the the wisdom of appealing to someone in authority for sure, but if you make an appeal and you ask for consideration and things don't go the way you think, Christ is still the epitome of a right kind of submission to those in authority in First Peter, and he's the epitome of the right kind of servant leadership in First Peter, the one who lays down his life for those he's serving. So I just think for guys or gals. The call is really high. Whether you're the leader, Christ is the epitome of the servant leadership you're called to, or if you're someone, whatever severe, under authority, Christ is the epitome and the example of our call to be those under authority as well. So it's a huge thing, and we'll, we'll answer for that, our role as leaders, our role as those helpers or under authority. And Christ is the model for both. So it's a really high call, either side of the equation we're on on this. Again, I'd ask your uh, your patience. If you've missed some of the previous three messages, uh, uh, you know you can you can go back and revisit those on the Lion Lamb website to kind of take the whole thing in context. Because we don't have 
time any one Sunday to present the whole thing. And of course, do your own study. Read your Bible and, uh, and try to see how these things apply to you. I appreciate the, uh, the contributions of our panels, and they've been great. And uh, uh, I appreciate uh, the patience on this issue. It's, it's a tough one. Mike, would you close us in prayer? Lord, I'm just struck again this morning by how quick and how short and how brief our lives on this earth are. And Lord, what seem uh, periods that seem to go on forever, uh, either dull or trying, difficult, um, Lord, they are really brief in the uh, calendar of eternity. And Father, I ask that you would help us to lay hold of you so significantly and so fully that we would fill these brief moments you give us on the earth with uh, faith and with the kind of service that is informed by the knowledge that we will stand before you very briefly. So Lord, help us live today and tomorrow as leaders, as helpers, as those under authority or those in authority. Lord, help us uh, fill those moments in these days, these responsibilities, as those who will give account to you sooner rather than later. Help us to model Christ in all of that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.